hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storer. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 66, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you doing? Uh, well, I was pretty good, but apparently the specter of Demons of the Prairie, which <laughs> is the topic we're doing today, scared me so much I forgot how to do the opening intro. That is weird. Yeah, I think I, I've barely eaten today. Oh. And so I think that's got a lot to do with it. I'm just kind of... Blood sugar crash. Yeah, brain fog. yeah. Just brain I, fog is 100% where I'm at. I've had it where I'm telling the ghost stories, and if I am walking to the next story, I can't recall key points. Oh, no. But the minute I start telling the story... All comes back and names, thing. dates, everything. It's the weirdest thing. Same thing with the opening crawl. Once I got going, fine. Yeah, Just your that. brain gives you the information when you need it, not before. Oh, my brain <laughs> is an asshole. <laughs> need to know. Yeah, exactly. My brain says that a lot. That's not a need to know. <laughs> and there's not many need to know occasions, it seems. No. For, not for me, at least. I'm in a fog most of the time. Unless I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. As we said on this episode, we're going to be talking about demons of the prairie yes. and the, uh, the, Inspiration for this was a horror film called The Wind. Ooh. Yeah, it's actually really great. I think it's on um I think it's on Netflix, oh. at least here in Canada. And it's sort of a psychological thriller about a husband and wife living on the New Mexican prairie in sort of uh the 1800s. Right. And the wife becomes more and more certain that a demonic influence is uh haunting them. Right. But the film sort of plays with the notion of reality and plays with whether or not it is real or she is simply suffering psychological fallout from the death of her infant son. Oh, and the isolation. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. It's a really great movie. Are you going to tell me what it is? Uh, not on the air. I'll tell you off the air. So we don't, <laughs> we don't want to ruin it for anyone. True. No, uh, it sounds like a movie I'd see. Probably not alone. That's why. It yeah. is, it's pretty creepy. It's, yeah, it's a I find psychological thrillers uh, or psychological horror movies way more upsetting than just your slash and burn kind. Right. No, fair enough. Yeah. I, I prefer a good slasher, but that's me. I like knowing the threat is real. You know? Okay. Yeah. Okay. This, all this call is coming from inside your own head bullshit. No, no, no. No, see, that scares me more. Right. See, the thing is, I know I'm not crazy. I'm afraid of the guy. Oh, yeah. I guess that's what you would think, wouldn't that it? That is what you would think if okay. you weren't crazy. So maybe we shouldn't dwell on this too much. But moving on. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. We are, of course, recording this episode in advance. In um, the future. In the future. I will, when it comes out, I think I'll just be coming back from my trip up north to uh, the thing I had to do in... Um, the haunted trailer in the middle of the woods. The haunted trailer in the middle of the woods. I hope you plan on releasing this or editing it before you get there. <laughs> that's right. My posthumous episode. Yeah. I'll have it all programmed for you so you now, can... Yeah, not that I'm being selfish about it, but if you could preload it onto Facebook so I can just hit a button. <laughs> I love how you think great. the episodes live on Facebook. Oh, I don't really care. I see. Okay. <laughs> That's honest, at least. I as can... long as I show up. <laughs> yeah. That's all that really right. matters. And then you'll start taking applications from my position. Well, you know, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Just, <laughs> just putting it out there. Well, I would do the same thing. 
<laughs> except my list of what I need would be much shorter than the list of what you need to replace me. <laughs> my list for you would be much longer, I mean. I was going to say, what, my let's, list. let's yeah. evaluate that statement. Yeah, I know. Ian just has to sit there and smile and say <laughs> funny things. I was, I was actually doing a, a list of tasks to try and get a sense of... Oh, don't do that. You're just going to resent me. Oh, no, no, no. I don't. I resent you already. It's, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Oh, but you really wanted to... Dial it in. Map it all out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so so when I can... When we have the what have you done for me lately conversation, it just unfurls like a scroll. Wow. You know? Yeah. Have you been hanging out with my ex-wife? <laughs> Not for Here's all the... Here's the list of everything you've done wrong. Not for all the money in the world, my friend. <laughs> Not for all the money in the world. One game night was enough. No, yeah. Let's not dwell. Let's not dwell. But going back to that task list, I I was kind of shocked by how much crap is involved in getting this production out the door. Why do you keep thanking you? I'm bored. (laughs) No, I get it. I could not do it because quite frankly, a lot of it's a complete mystery to me. I, you know, honestly, it's a little bit like the opening crawl in that most of it is a mystery to me too, until I'm doing it. (laughs) This is muscle memory. I'm half asleep. I'm doing shit. Are we trapped in like one of those 1950s marriages where the husband pays all the bills and the wife doesn't even know there's a bank account? And that, (laughs) that's kind of it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It kind of is. Well, at least we get to sleep in separate beds since it's the 1950s. Thank God. Thank God. That is a blessing. Uh, before we get to the musical guests, though, I do want to say that we've hit a pretty big milestone. Yeah. And we have hit half a million downloads. That is mind-boggling. It's super fucking cool. Yeah. And so we just want to say thank you to all our listeners, new and old, who have helped us get here. And, and sure, you know, we're still a tiny show in the grand scheme of things, but we're just so happy yeah. that people are getting something from this and coming on this crazy-ass journey with Well, us. the fact that those dozens of people are just repeatedly downloading That's a lot of downloads, a lot of clicking. It's very kind. Their thumbs must be worn out. I can't even imagine. I'm telling you. <laughs> and at the in the latter half of the show, in the, in the C-section, we're, we're going to be announcing some giveaways, some stuff to celebrate. So excited. I know. We've got this <laughs> fantastic design that we've been holding on to yeah. since April. Yeah. And we just really can't wait to share with everyone. So, yeah. But we'll get to that at the end of the show. Absolutely. Until then, I want to introduce our musical guest. They are the Canadian band Ice War. Very excited about this. I'm a huge fan of these guys. The song is Light Shine On from their 2018 album Manifest Destiny. And you can find more about that at icewar.bandcamp.com and, of course, on all the major streaming platforms. All right, so we're going to take a little break. When we come back, Demons of the Prairie. Welcome back. As we said before the break, inspired by the horror film The Wind, this week we're doing Demons of the Prairie. Mm-hmm. Not, most of the stories aren't actually about demons, but... It's, it's a, just a catchy title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in the, the pamphlet that the priest hands to the woman in The Wind is called <laughs> Demons of the Prairie. Oh. And it sort of then lists all the various... Demons that are wandering the prairie. Exactly, yeah. Nice. Yeah, and this this becomes a point of contention between her and her husband because he thinks this is stuff and nonsense, as right. husbands so often do in these stories. Yes, they do. And, and in real life. Yes, that's it. And it, it kind of goes from there. 
Interesting. But I guess we should just briefly touch on yeah, where like the prairies where, are. Where are I know the Canadian prairies because oh yeah, I'm Canadian. But well, and you live there, didn't I, you? Yeah, I lived in Manitoba and in Alberta, but I don't know what the American prairies are. I mean, I kind of do, but not well enough. Well, according to uh, Wikipedia, which is where I get all my knowledge about these things, the prairies in the U.S. constitute uh, most or all of North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma, and then large parts of Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas, Missouri, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, and parts of Minnesota. Wow. It's a big area. That is way more than I would have thought. Yes. And most of our stories, I think, are from, I want to say, the Dakotas, Nebraska, and one from Illinois, and then we have a couple from like, up here in kind Canada. Kind of like the true prairies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a couple from up here in Canada in, I believe, uh, Alberta, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan. You know, I'm actually surprised. I mean, I guess it's population-based that we don't get more ghost stories from the prairies. Um, because it was a really horrible life for those first settlers. Yeah, well, um, you were telling me before the break, or during the break, rather, about prairie madness, which yeah, I'd never heard of. From my extreme research, reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder's books like four <laughs> times, um, the the idea was the the Land Claim Act in the in the United States was that you would be given attractive land, and it was substantial, right? But you had to stake your claim, and you had to stay on it for at least a year. Um, and if you did that you would then become the owner of that land. Until that time, the government owned it. Okay. And if you left, you forfeited. So how do you go get things? I guess it's a lifestyle I'm not even, yeah. you can't even comprehend. You you would, on your way there with your magical covered wagon, you would presumably um, stock up with enough flour and lard. Of course, right. And, and, and that kind of thing. This is how embedded I am in the sort of Western just walk down the street to get the grocery store way of life because I can't even conceive no. of planning that far ahead. Well, and not only that, but a lot of times they ran out because they had no idea what they were getting into. Of course. And they were living in really poor homes that were not built for the harsh prairie winters. Like it was conditions they'd never seen, like the wind. Right. Um, in fact, one entire book of the Laura Ingalls books is called The Long Cold, Long Cold Winter, Long Hard Winter, um, where they almost starve to death because the train can't get through. Jesus. And the train, they actually, uh, their dad moved them into town while he stayed on the claim um, and rented, you know, a property for them to stay in. And even in town, they almost starved to death. Holy so shit. It was a horrible, horrible time. And there is an affliction known as prairie madness um, brought on by the extreme isolation, the extreme right. survival conditions. Sure. People would uh, go mad. They would become incredibly depressed and withdrawn and personality changes. And suicide sometimes was the only out because the only way to recover from prairie madness was to leave the prairies. Of course. And for a lot of these people, that was an option. They'd cashed out. Right, yeah. They cashed out. They sold everything, and they had come out to the prairies to get this land, and, and that was all they had. It's all or nothing. It was awful. That's a frightening thought. So there were more than one, you know, family per region who didn't make it through the winter because oh. they didn't know what they were doing. Jeez. What are you going to burn? That's a good point, yeah. There's no trees. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty awful, pretty harsh. I know that in conversations uh, Rachel and I have had, we've talked about the coming of winter in places like England. Yes. Where, you know, one of the reasons it's such a dour, you know, the idea of it is so dour, there's so much darkness around it, is that it was such a time of 
survive or not. Yeah. Do you have enough to survive the winter? Absolutely. And again, I'm I'm so far removed from that. I guess we all are really. Yeah. In the you know, sort of in the Western world, that it's hard to comprehend that you can't just again. I live literally four blocks away from uh, a grocery store and a diner and a restaurant and a coffee shop. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean the closest I've ever come. I lived in a house which we heated with wood for 13 years. Right. So getting the wood pile set up in like. July, August at the latest right. was a priority. And we would, we would, we didn't bring in a lot of wood, like two cords of wood. Um, I know what that means. Of course you do. Uh, but it, it had to be done and huh. you had to think ahead. Huh? I um, think the closest I've come to that was when the highway out of Revelstoke was closed and every, the gas station started running out of gas Ooh. because people were still coming in from the East, right? but they couldn't go West. Oh, wow. And there are something like 150 semi-trucks lined up along uh, the main drag. Was that because of an avalanche? It was a mudslide. Mudslide, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was quite the... Uh, that, that was the trip, and I think I've told the story on the show before, where the night before, a friend and I had gone to see a drive-in movie two towns over, and then the road was closed behind us by mudslides, both roads. Ooh. And so we ended up sleeping in the car overnight and then taking a back road in the morning. But where we slept in the car was just down the road from a graveyard. Oh, right. On the, I want I, I can't remember the name of the band, but it's on the reservation. So that night while in the car, I started having this weird panic attack. My friend just drifted right off, but I, <laughs> I had this weird panic attack until I did the whole white light thing. Right. And then I dropped right off and Nick was at home and she had no idea that I was sleeping, you know, in Spook Feeling, Central. Yeah. And she herself, every time she closed her eyes, she saw these rotating multicolored crosses. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Couldn't sleep at all. Wow. And yeah, that was my my, there you go. my experience sleeping in the car near the graveyard. Don't recommend it. No. Zero sounds stars. Like, sounds like a little bit of mountain madness there. That's <laughs> yeah. prairie madness. Well, that'll be happening once I head up to my, my trailer in the sky here pretty soon. So. Yeah, I know. Let's hope there's enough white light in this world. <laughs> what do you need that eight pounds of salt? Sorry, expecting ice. It's a long story. You Mind your business. Me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get going with the stories. The Prairie House Footsteps. Back in 1985, I moved to Rockford, Illinois with friends, and we shared a house called Prairie House. It was a family home built in 1853 and is still around, though we've long since moved on. Oddly, the kitchen was in the basement, as was the bathroom and root cellar. On the first level was a living room, library, and den, with a lovely foyer and staircase, and upstairs had three bedrooms. Above that was an attic, and above that, a widow's walk. By the time we moved in the house, it had already had a reputation for being haunted, but we never heard anything specific, and even if we had, we wouldn't have believed it. The door that led to the attic stairway was in the hall between two bedrooms. My boyfriend Danny and I shared one of those rooms, and our friend Jeff the other. Jeff was a late-night guy and spent most of his evenings out of the house, and Danny worked graveyards, so I spent a lot of nights hanging out with our cat Porkchop. We would drop Danny off at work around 10, then sleep and pick him up again around 6 a.m. Our bed was pushed right up against the wall that bordered the attic stairs, so if anybody went up or down, you heard it. Well, on one of those nights, as Porkchop and I lay there contemplating life and its mysteries, that's exactly what I heard. Loud, thumping footsteps, very close, very clear, coming down the stairs from the attic. Had someone gotten into the house? I held my breath and hid under the covers with Porkchop as the intruder approached the door at the bottom. But once they hit the last step, all sound stopped. 
the door didn't open and there were no more footsteps. Eventually, I crawled out of bed and made my way to the hallway door, finding it unlocked. This became a regular occurrence, and I started taking pork chop with me when I went to go get Danny, sometimes arriving at his work as much as an hour early so we didn't have to be alone with those horrible steps. I even started sleeping with my clothes on so I could get out the door faster. Every single time, the door would be unlocked, despite my locking it at the beginning of the night. We eventually added a second lock, which only opened from the hallway side of the door, but it too would become unlocked after the footsteps came. For the longest time, I was the only one who heard these things. Then came a rare night in for Jeff. He was asleep in his room when at 4 a.m. the footsteps came back. Pork Chop and I prepared to fortify ourselves with blankets, and then I remembered Jeff was home. Just as I was about to call out to him, he shouted from his room, Did you hear that? I started back, telling him I'd meet him in the hall. We stood together in the hall, he in his PJs, me in my street clothes, and looked at the door. It was unlocked. Jeff stared at the door, then me, and all he could manage to say was, What? After a month or so in the house, things escalated to include occurrences on most mornings just about at dawn. We'd hear thumping, running, and scratching like claws on feet in the attic overhead. The footsteps were so heavy, I could actually feel the vibration in the room below them. The sound went from one side of the attic to the other and back again, faster than any creature could go. I tried telling Danny about this, and he wrote it off as squirrels, until he heard it for himself. I'd picked him up from work, we'd eaten breakfast, and then decided to crash for another hour. I woke up to the usual chaos in the attic, and Danny tugging on my arm shouting, What the hell is going on? Just squirrels was no longer an acceptable answer, I guess. After that incident, Danny, Jeff, and a few other people decided they would all go together during daylight to take a look in the attic. We found a deep layer of dust on the attic stairs and floor, indicating that nothing had touched that floor in a very long time. Beneath the dust, we could see a pentagram had been drawn on the floor with melted candles at each corner. We gave our notice to move that day. Now, I got to say, I'm not worried about the pentagram. I am, however, worried about clawed footsteps above me in the night. Yeah, or the clumping down the stairs. Yeah, I mean, that uh, the restaurant in Revelstoke is gone now, but it was uh, an A&W, and they had that issue as well. They would hear footsteps, but as soon as, they weren't on the stairs, they were upstairs, but as soon as the person came upstairs and put their foot on the top step, it, would... it stopped. Interesting. Every time. And I'm curious now because they've knocked that building completely down and they're building a whole new one. Oh. So I'm curious to see if that uh, makes a change. Was it an old building? It was, yeah. Oh. The, the Interestingly, the footsteps only ran the length of the original building because it was a, a like a drive up. Right. And then they expanded it and closed in the rest of the restaurant. Oh. But the footsteps only ran as far as the original dimensions of the building. So I'm curious to hear what, uh, what changes. That's like the house I was living in in Toronto when I was at Bible school. Right. And the footsteps and the sounds oh, of course. Yeah, would yeah, yeah. only come up to the bathroom because that's where the building used to end. Right. It They tacked on an extra four bedrooms in the 60s. but um, And thankfully, mine was just past the bathroom. <laughs> but yeah, any sounds you would hear yep. were in the original part of the oh, house. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, attics, I, I, no, just no. Yeah, we were living in the attic. Oh, God. <laughs> well, at least that it's committed to a living space. Yeah, I'm still creepy. But yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, it, my house in Revelstoke, uh, I've sold it now, but when I lived there, 
I had an attic. Never yeah. went there once. Really? Never went up there. Never. Nope. Wow. Don't care. It's there. Maybe there's someone chained up up there. Maybe there's a bunch of gold. Who knows? I'll never know. <laughs> I sold the house sight unseen. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, not happening. Wow. Dial 911 for emergency. The town of Portage La Prairie in the Canadian province of Manitoba isn't a large one. Last I checked, the population hovered around 14,000 people, and that's now. When I lived there in the 90s, it was a little less. My family and I lived in a medium-sized house there for about three years, and a lot of weird stuff happened. Things like odd noises, hearing muffled talking when there was no television or radio on, and so on. When we moved out, people actually straight up told us it was supposed to be haunted, which wasn't much help given we were on our way out. There was one story that sort of sums up what we put up with in that house, and it started one night while I was walking down the main drag and ran into my brother Jim. He was panicked, and when I asked what was going on, said that he had gotten home and found the door to the kitchen wide open. This is a big deal because that door has a deadbolt and a magnetic frame to keep it shut tight even if it's not locked. Jim said he took a look around and there was no one there, but something still didn't feel right. The house was unnaturally quiet, until the sudden ringing of the phone made him jump. He picked up to find a 911 operator asking if he was okay because she had just received a call from that house. Jim tells her what happened and that he seems to be okay. So the operator hangs up, but he wasn't planning on sticking around and he left. That's what I saw. The story doesn't quite end there. Like I said at the top, Portage is a small town and it wasn't long before we found out that the previous residents of the home had the same issue. The father had been an RCMP officer and one night the kids were out seeing a movie or something and came home to half the detachment checking on their house. I guess 911 received a call from the house, and no one answered when they called back, so their dad, who was on shift, brought the cavalry. No one was home but that magnetic self-shutting door? Wide open. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you lived in Portage La Prairie? No, I lived in Winnipeg, but I went to Portage La Prairie a few right. times. Yeah. Okay. It's a pretty small place then, 13,000. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, pretty much everywhere other than Winnipeg and Manitoba is a small place. Fair. Not a big population. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Saskatchewan at one point had a grand total for the entire province of 600,000 people. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I've only ever been there once briefly, Saskatchewan. I've been to Saskatoon and I've been to Regina, which only Canadians can say without giggling. Regina, it's the capital. It's a bit of a... I was going to say it's a bit of a hole, but that sounds so wrong. <laughs> it's I'm not very, it in, so. Yeah, it's not very nice. Saskatoon is actually quite lovely. It's got a lot more trees and there's a university there. And right. It's, it's quite a nice place, but it's just a whole lot of nothing. Huh. The biggest thing I remember realizing, I was driving from Calgary to Winnipeg. And as I'm driving on the highway, which the interstate, the mass across Canada interstate, is just a two-lane road. One lane going one way, one lane coming the other when you go through the prairies. Right. So I'm on this road, and I'm like, oh, I can see tall buildings. That must be Regina. That's so great. I could really use the bathroom. An hour and a half later, oh yeah, I roll into Regina, and it, of course, dawns on me that it is so flat. Yep. There is literally nothing in the way. Yeah. And it looks way closer than it really is. It's like the first time I drove to Vegas. We drove from uh, the California through Death Valley. Right. And it just, there's Vegas in the distance burning like a fire at the edge of the world. And, oh, it's four hours away. Uh, yeah. Fuck. It's crazy. The story itself reminded me of something I think we covered on the emergency responders episode where they responded to the house and they, was it they, some horrible sounds or something like this. And then when they finally, the police finally got in, everything was fine. Yeah. And yeah. I, I just can't imagine what the hell 
is going on in these situations. I don't know. I mean, there was that time too. My friend and I were outside St. Anne's Academy. That's right. And yeah, the police yeah, turned yeah, up yeah, because they yeah. said someone called 911 and said a couple was in trouble, but we were just standing there. Oh. Hadn't seen anyone come by. Oddest thing. Weird. Folks, if there's anyone out there who works in emergency services, if you got any stories for us, we'd love to hear them. We just had an email from someone in the military with some yeah. great stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, we're working on Listener Story October, and we would love to hear from first responders because I know police, I know you see some shit. Yes, they do. <laughs> and paramedics too, and uh, you know, nurses, all, all you people. We'd love, love to hear those stories. Absolutely. The Devil's Face. When I was 13 years old, we lived in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, a small city on the prairie. We lived in a quiet, unassuming suburban home where nothing out of the ordinary happened. At least not until the night I saw the devil's face. At the time, it was just about sunset, and I was lounging on the couch in our downstairs rec room, not quite asleep. When my eyes finally closed, I saw what I knew, I knew, was the devil's face. I opened my eyes, ran to the nearest window so I could see the last of the sun, and there was the face again, this time, just outside. Fear gripped me, and I ran upstairs to my parents, so frightened I could barely breathe. They had no idea what to do with me, so my mother tried to get me to calm my breathing, and eventually, I could speak again. I told them what I'd seen, and they told me it was a dream, certainly nothing I should worry about. Now that I was more or less back to normal, they weren't worried anymore, and they said I should just go back to the rec room and watch some television, which I did. The face wouldn't leave me, though, no matter what I watched. What I saw wasn't your typical devil. There were no horns, no fangs, no spikes, just a broad man's face with red eyes and thick black hair that was somehow flowing upward. Since that time, I've seen the face again twice, but only in my dreams. The first dream came when I was 18 years old and living in Winnipeg, Manitoba. I dreamt he was levitating outside my second floor window, waiting for me to open it and invite him in. The second time was also in Winnipeg and happened when I was 23. Another dream, this time, about walking along a path that led from the barn where I'd just been to the cottage where my sister was waiting. It was raining heavily, and I couldn't wait to get back inside. As I approached the cottage, I could see my sister reading a book by candlelight, and then a moment later, he was walking along beside me. We stopped, turned to face each other, and then he pulled a gun and shot me three times in the hip. As I fell to the ground, I called out to my sister, telling her to run, and then I woke up, the pain following me through to the waking world. As I lay there in bed, my hip was swollen and sore and stayed that way for about three days. Since then, the man has yet to return, but he will. I know it. So I wasn't going to include this one, but the the, the shooting thing is, is kind of what convinced me to keep it. Because, I mean, I, even running to the window after seeing what he did, if you're still asleep, you know, I, I wouldn't rule it out that you're just still kind of yeah, dreaming. Yeah. But I remember, and I don't want this to be the, remember that time show, but I had that dream where I was shot by some dude who just walked up to me out of nowhere. And I'm just kind of fascinated by this idea, you know, even wondering what kind of archetype it represents. But I remember in that dream, I was just, I was watching, I was standing on a sloped hillside, watching the sun set on this mountain in the distance because I was buying some land nearby. And wanted to get a sense of what it looked like at sunset. But my land was, I couldn't get on it yet. So I was on this land. And this guy pulled up behind my truck. He was a, sort of a Latino looking guy. He had a Carhartt jacket on. And he walked up to me and I was saying, oh, sorry, you know, I know I shouldn't be here. And then he just pulled a gun, shot me several times in the gut. And I fell down. And I remembered everything going black, thinking, what the hell just happened? 
And anyways, it just kind of stuck with me. Mm. So I, I wonder what, again, if, if, you know, what kind of archetype that represents mm. this sort of being shot or this sort of stranger, you know, coming for you. The Pasture Shadow. My great-great-grandfather once owned a farm in South Dakota, and in the summers, my then-teenage grandfather and great-uncle would visit to help out around the place. About a mile away, down a dirt path, was a bar that wasn't too picky about age, and so when they weren't working, my grandfather and his brother Martin would go there to shoot pool. On this particular visit, Martin and my grandfather went out to the bar about 9pm. Martin was on crutches at the time, so it was a slow walk, but they didn't mind as it was a warm, quiet night. They finished at the bar around 11.30 and headed back home, again slowly, chatting as they went. Somewhere along the pasture, they noticed a tall black figure walking parallel to them, stepping when they stepped, stopping when they stopped. My grandfather called to the figure, thinking it was a man, but there was no response. Irritated, the boys then tried throwing rocks to attract its attention, but they seemed to pass right through it. That scared them, and my grandfather ran, leaving Martin in the dust. He went back for him, and when he did, the figure was gone so the pair hurried home as fast as Martin's crutches could take him. They got there around 12.30 in the morning, and this is when it gets eerie. My grandfather locked the door behind him as soon as he got home, just as something started tugging on it. Their grandfather went to the door fast as can be, gun in hand, but there was no one there. The next morning, my grandfather and Martin showed their grandfather where in the pasture the figure had been, and sure enough, there were what appeared to be footprints there, but they were abnormally small. The late night pool sharking stopped for a while after that, and the figure never returned. I guess that's kind of sort of a shadow people story. Yeah, except that it was tugging on the door and it seemed to be pursuing them. That's not cool. I just love the idea that shadow people sort of, that a shadow person senses there's a firearm involved and they're like, no, we're not. <laughs> so it's just not I'm out. This. Yeah, I'm done. I'm done. I saw Rambo. This ends badly for me. Also, I love the, uh, the whole teenage, how very teenage boy, the idea of throwing rocks is something you don't understand is. Yes. What is this? Well... Let's hurl some rocks at it Let's and see what happens. Let's kill it first, <laughs> yeah, and then right. we'll ask questions later. The Voice of the Fire It all started in Omaha, Nebraska. My mother and I had moved there from California because we wanted a new start. Mom was a chef and found some work at a local family restaurant. We lived in a small studio apartment, and just about the only time we spent at home was just before and just after waking up. My older brothers were back on the coast, and the plan was to eventually bring them out too, but... Money being what it was, that was a future plan. One night, Mom woke me up in a hurry because the house next door to our corner unit was on fire. I was too young to know the family who lived there, but I sort of knew their son, who went to the same school as me. Later, I found out that he died in that fire. Two years passed, and my mom worked her way up to head chef at an upscale hotel making much better money. We moved out of the small apartment and into a one-bedroom house. Then before too much time had passed, she sent for my brothers out west. Now we needed to upgrade our housing situation again, and fast. After weeks of searching, my mom came home with a big smile on her face. She'd put down a deposit on a three-and-a-half bedroom house that was in our price range and our neighborhood. In fact, it was brand new, and right next to our old apartment building. Can you guess why it was brand new? Bet you can. It was the house that had burned down two years before. Rebuilt from the ground up, of course, but on the same spot. It was up for rent, because nobody ever stayed there too long. And now it was our turn to try. The first few weeks were uneventful. My brothers arrived and settled into their rooms, and I ended up in the attic, which was comfortable despite the name. The peace and quiet didn't last. The TV and stereo started turning on by themselves. 
things disappeared or were moved to places they weren't supposed to be. One time, while I was making myself a PB&J sandwich, my glass of milk emptied by itself. I literally filled the glass, turned around to put the gallon jug away, and when I turned back, the glass was empty. I was home alone. At night, you would hear footsteps up and down the stairs, running sounds in the hallways, even voices. One of my brothers started having horrible nightmares, where a man in a hat told him to play with matches, told him he should burn the house. These nightmares were rare at first, but became so frequent, he finally went through with it. If not from a mother who smelled smoke before any of us, we wouldn't have been able to extinguish the burning carpet on time. When she confronted my brother, he cried and said he'd been pressured into doing it, that the dreams had become too much. This was the final straw. She went to go see the landlord. The landlord told my mother that previous tenants, including the ones whose son had started the fire, had gone through a similar cycle of events. Noises, things moving, and eventually their son seeing a man on the stairs who told him to burn the house down. The family said he would beg empty air not to do anything to his family and yell that he wouldn't play with fire. His parents just didn't know what to do. According to the landlord, that fire had actually been started because the son of the residence had been playing with matches and accidentally set the second floor on fire. He had no way out and had jumped from the window, impaling himself on the spiked fence below. After that conversation, my mom began to worry and looked for other available homes. She even put us in afternoon classes and sports so we would spend less time there, but it wasn't enough. It happened in the early evening when my brothers and I were watching The Simpsons in our darkened living room. We all heard the footsteps, heavy, stamping, angry footsteps coming downstairs, and we thought my mom was coming to give us hell for having the volume too high. We all turned toward the stairwell to wait for her, but it wasn't her. Instead, it was a man. He had a hat and seemed to be covered in some kind of black stuff. He stood there staring through us until my brother began to yell, and we ran for the light switch. As soon as they were on, he was gone. Second later, we heard my mom yell, so we ran upstairs and found her in bed crying. She collected herself, grabbed all of us, and immediately dragged us to the car and then to a motel. Once that motel door was locked, she explained that she'd been sleeping when she heard the door open. Thinking it was us, she rolled over in bed to see what we wanted, but instead saw a man in black, who didn't even wait for her to react before he jumped on top of her. She tried to move, but the man was so heavy, all she could do was pray harder than she ever had, and that's when he disappeared, and she screamed. We moved into the motel the next day, and stayed there until Mom found a two-bedroom apartment. The bank foreclosed on that house, and now no one lives there. No one human, at least. Ooh, a fire ghost. I don't mind telling you, man, I actually freaked myself out writing that one. That's a creepy one. Yeah. The, something about the black figure who's just there. Yeah. You know, and it sounds pissed off and it... Well, and it certainly is goal-oriented. <laughs> highly motivated. Yeah, that's it's, not good. Its resume says ambitious. Yes, that's not good. And there's a couple stories like this in that at the end of it, the house is sort of foreclosed on and no one lives there. Right. And it, it's just this sort of undercurrent in the show that, that we'll, we'll talk about a little bit at the end, if I remember, but just this fascinating sense of us not 
owning things anymore and of other things moving in. Yeah, and taking over. That's exactly I it. I mean, yeah. but do we ever really own anything? Well, of course not. But, right? but I think that is becoming more apparent in some of these stories. It's really the, sort of the, um, what are the word I'm looking for? Like the uh, fluidity of things, the way they can just go away is I think now more than ever. Yeah. Becoming uh, uh, something we have to face. Well, we, we pay money to use things, houses, cars, other things like that. But we're just really paying rent on them because eventually we're gone. That's it. Right? Yeah. And then those things go to someone else or something else. Yeah. One of our listeners sent me this link or rather sent us via Patreon this link to uh, some people on YouTube who do urban exploration. Oh, I love it. I watched it too. Oh, you did? Oh, oh yeah, my yeah. God. And so they were going around a housing development in Georgia that's been abandoned. Fascinating. It's just incredible to think all yeah. these places, just their houses, which, you know, is the thing everyone wants, you know, certainly something I can never afford. And they're you just- You probably could there. Well, yeah, there, sure. <laughs> and that bottle of water next to the console could probably afford it there. But just the idea that they're just sitting there empty. and Hundreds some, of them. Yeah. And something has to, you know, yeah. eventually end up there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that place on Anarchist Mountain, I mean, that was creepy enough. But Of course, to yeah. To have the houses all built- and then work just stopped because it got caught up in a mortgage thing. Yikes. Yeah. And what makes people leave things like that? Like there was another video. I don't know if you saw that one where they went exploring. Oh, a different group. Right. And they went exploring this mansion in Germany. Oh, no. I, I was yeah. That. And it's all there. Everything's there. Clothes, everything. But no one's been in it for years and years and years. They found a safe. And it had instructions on how to open the safe on top of the safe. And they opened the safe and they found rings, a passport. Um, but it was just left. Yeah. That is all of it. Weird. All of it just left. So some poor bastard came home to, to his vacation house and he was not happy. <laughs> but isn't that crazy? That is. Well, there's a fellow I follow on Instagram and I, I won't give his name here, but I think he's taken his account private, but he does urban exploration in and around Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And some of these places, they're, you know, churches with the, the cassock still in the yeah. closet and yeah. things like this. I just, again, I, but I no one knows what to do with it. I guess that's it. They just leave it. I would love to see some urban X out of Detroit. I think that'd be fascinating. Well, I think there's quite a bit of it. The number of uh, mansions and yeah. public buildings and that are now just left be pretty cool. Yeah. Well, if you're out there, do you have any cool urban exploration video links? We're both into it. Yeah. So, send yeah. away. Because I'm way too cowardly to go in myself and get a lung infection. I'm way too heavy. <laughs> there was an abandoned. That's true. There's an abandoned settlement outside of Kamloops that was picked up by one of the uh, cattle companies yeah, and it's technically on their land. And my cousin and I drove out there once. It's a, it's a good ways out of town and there's still houses, literally lawnmowers standing in tall grass. Wow. But the houses, I, you couldn't pay me to go in them because I'm a heavy guy. Yeah. And those floors you cannot trust. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to end up uh, knee deep in rotten cellar water. That's yeah, not th a yeah, good thing. Or, you know, tetanus. Or impaled on a furnace pipe. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that was literally miles away from a road. Never mind. Wow. You know, any kind of civilization. He'd be like, sorry, buddy, you're dead wood. Yep. We had a good run. <laughs> I'll always remember whatever it is your name is. <laughs> you meant a lot to me in theory. <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> Whistle. There's not much going on in Holton, Kansas. It's got maybe 3,000 people, and if you want to get to the city, you have to drive about half an hour to Topeka. If you want the big city experience, and some great barbecue, I'll grant you, you're driving another hour across the state line to Kansas City, Missouri. Anyways, point is, Holton is quietly nestled in the middle of nowhere, about 10 minutes north of the Potawatomi Reservation and its Prairie Band Casino. 
It ain't Vegas, but the pool was alright. And when you live in a sea of farmland crisscrossed by dirt roads, that matters. The story I want to tell you takes place during my junior year of high school, when I'd been living in Holton for about three years. It was Halloween, and my friend asked me if I'd like to go out to no man's land with her. I had no idea what that meant. Whatever it was, I ended up not being able to go. The name put a hook in me, though, and I started asking around. According to what people told me, No Man's Land was called that because there had been a long bloody battle for the reservation between the Poetotomi people and white settlers. The legends say that when the war was over, the bodies were left where they lay, and so the land was considered sacred, with no one allowed to live or farm on those vast acres of forest and field. Over time, however, people broke those rules, and this angered the spirits. Now, I gotta say, I've looked into this online in the years since, and I can find absolutely no record of this whatsoever. Reservations are usually on bad land, so it seems weird anyone would fight for them. And all the Potawatomi fighting I could find seems to have been further north in other states, so I kind of think it's just a local story that's picked up extra layers as time has gone on. However, in the summer of my junior year, I didn't know that, and so when four of my buddies suggested we take my new, old car to the morgue on the res at midnight, I thought, well, why not? On the drive out there, we were all on edge, and my friends Tom and Mike, who live on the res, told us not to whistle or speak of spirits once we were on Potawatomi land. With that in mind, we turned into the gravel driveway that circled the building. I parked the car, and we turned off the lights. For a while, nothing happened. The wary feeling we'd had was gone, and now we were just a few bored teenagers sitting outside a morgue. A kid in my car, Jordan, lit a cigarette and rolled his window down. That was when we heard the drum beats. Tom and Mike looked confused. They said there was a building beside the morgue where community rituals were sometimes performed, but those rituals were never done this late. And besides, the drums weren't coming from there. They were coming from way further away in the opposite direction of that building, somewhere out in the dark. This had an effect on Tom, because the last ceremony he had gone to was a memorial for his cousin Ginny, who had died from an overdose. We decided to get out of the car together and walk in the direction of the drumbeats. After all, we'd come to be scared. Apart from the pounding of the drums, the only noise we could hear was the rustling of the trees. Being a kid not part of the Potawatomi culture, I was all about being scared, but the fact that this would have an emotional impact for Tom, I didn't really comprehend. And he broke the silence first, whispering, Ginny, it's Tom. If you can hear me, whistle. For a moment, there was nothing. Just the wind in the trees. Then, from out in the emptiness of the night, from the direction of the drums, there came a low, slow whistle. We drove like hell out of there and never went back. That is a classic ghost story. I wouldn't go back either. No, 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 no. 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 But remember being a kid, or maybe you did, maybe you didn't do this. I kind of did this sort of my early to mid teens, but never too, too far. But you just, you want to be scared. Like you, you think you want that thing to happen. You think you want to poke that particular bear and, and have a paranormal experience and, but then it happens. Oh, well, I guess in my case, it never really did happen. Not See, when that I was, was the problem. For- I was having weird experiences. I can remember when I lived in England. So this would have to be when I was three and a half, four, and having weird experiences in the house. Right. And knowing it wasn't right. Right. Knowing something was off about it. So I can honestly tell you, I did not ever go, go looking, looking for it. For oh, okay. for it. Other than I remember my friend Karen and I, we would drive up to this big house right on the edge of the valley that overlooks downtown Calgary. Right. Massive house. And it was obviously empty and had been for quite a while. And we would pull up as part of our nightly route of driving. And we would like get out of the car and see how far up the front walk we could get. But I never did touch the house. Neither did she. We'd freak freak ourselves out and run back to the car. So on that level, 
Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I remember doing that with the uh, that abandoned asylum outside Kamloops Tronquil. Oh yes, you know, but we we never got too close. No, uh, because they had pretty. Uh, pretty dense sensors and things like this to stop kids from doing that. See, that was the same reason I had pretty dense sensors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was just pretty dense. <laughs> Night terrors. My boyfriend Henry is a kind soul, more sensitive than most, and over the last two years has been coping with a heart condition that makes him a lot more susceptible to shocks than most people. It can be a challenge for both of us, but we manage. Now, as someone who considers themselves to be a spiritually developed pagan person, when I say sensitive, I mean both emotionally and psychically, which can be a dangerous combination. The story starts with Henry and I driving home to Grand Prairie, Alberta, after visiting his parents near Blueberry Mountain. In all, it's about a 90-minute drive, but on this occasion it was still winter, and the roads were awful, so we were taking it easy. The moon was large and slowly turning a dark orange color, almost red. And with my religious inclinations, I took that to be a warning. We should be cautious ahead. I didn't want to freak Henry out, so I just asked him to slow down a bit more. We didn't get close to town till one in the morning, and that's when it happened. We had just hit the first set of lights, when all of a sudden there was a black figure in front of the car. Henry slammed on the brakes, we blinked, and the figure was gone. Thankfully, the snowy road was empty, because this happened on a green light, and if there'd been anyone behind us, we would have been rear-ended for sure. This all hit Henry hard, and he clutched his chest in fright and then started to cry, because not only did it hurt, but for a good ten seconds he thought he'd killed someone with his car. I knew otherwise, though, because I saw the figure disappear as we approached it. Henry had had paranormal experiences in the past, so he was open to hearing my explanation of what happened, and he slowly collected himself. I should say that I've seen shadow people before, and they can be tricksters, but that energy of what we saw felt off. I didn't have the raw shock that Henry did, but I was uneasy, and that feeling hung around long after we got home and had gone to sleep. That night he slept fine, but the next night was another matter. Henry has always been someone who twitches a lot in his sleep, so when he started I didn't think too much of it, but then it got more and more violent like he was trying to get away from something. And then he woke up and bolted upright in bed, covered in sweat. He looked over at me and then started to cry again. So I laid him back down and had him explain his dream. He said that in the dream, we'd been back in his car driving home from Blueberry Mountain. When he looked in the rearview mirror, he saw a big, dark shape. Henry drives a 2005 Mustang GT, and sure, there are four seats, but the back ones are barely big enough for an adult human. I don't even like putting groceries back there. This black figure took up the whole back seat. Its legs pulled up towards its chest, its head stooped. When it turned its head, Henry could see its awful face. Its eyes were yellow and cat-like, with no apparent nose and a mouthful of jagged teeth. Worst of all, he told me, this thing was looking at me. In the dream, Henry pulled the car over and ran to my side, but I was gone, and so was the figure. He ran around the car screaming my name, and this is when he woke up. He was reluctant to sleep the next two nights, but each morning he woke up without an appearance from the shadow figure and finally started to think he was done with it. And then it came again. This time he dreamed he was in bed, but opened his eyes to find the shadow hovering over me with an angry look on its face. Henry screamed at the thing and it lunged towards him, putting one long-fingered claw over his heart, 
but he fought back, grabbing its arm with one hand and punching through its chest with the other. It screamed and hovered quickly towards the closet. And then Henry woke to find me in the same position I'd been in his dream. The wall beside the closet has a mirror, a big one, and Henry fell back asleep this time. I'm certain I actually saw the thing glare at me from the other side, then turn away and disappear. Since then, we haven't experienced anything else from this shadow figure, but it truly terrified him, and I still can't figure out what it was or why it had been so hostile. I unironically love the fact that Henry turned into Jack Johnson for a second <laughs> and just thought, nope, <laughs> bring it on, Damon. I remember actually when Nick, uh, years ago, um, Nick got really bad kidney stones. And, and you the, punched a doctor? I punched her. <laughs> this is inconvenient. <laughs> but uh, I remember the night before she ended up in the hospital, I had a dream that, that we were in bed and I heard this sound from the other room and I thought it was the cat in the dream. I thought it was a cat, but then I real then I actually heard the cat in the spare room and thought, well, that's not right. And as I had that realization, I heard this awful old crone laugh from the living room. And because this is my nature, I'm a dumbass. And I've, I've done this again. This has caused me. I just got up from the bed and started barreling towards the sound of the noise of to course you did. smash it mm-hmm. and woke up. But uh, of course, then the next Glad morning, I didn't have a pocket full of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> this actually bit me on the ass one time because I f- fell asleep. I was, I must've been having a nap. It was in the winter. So it was dark. And, you know, it was light when I fell asleep. Yeah. But then when I heard the smoke alarm go off, it was, oh. it was dark. Uh-oh. And so I just, again, sleepy and action. We, we must, we must make action. So I jumped out of bed and I r- ran through the dark and destroyed the closet door. Like oh, I ran no. through the closet door. Oh no. It no longer exists. And, uh, no, it was about six o'clock. Nick was cooking dinner. Um, I thought it was the middle of the night and something was on fire. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that will happen when you lie down for a nap at 9 a.m. <laughs> I was tired. Sleeping Uh had really taken it out of me. (laughs) Next door. We live in a rural town in Nebraska. I'd rather not say specifically where, but like a lot of places, the economic downturn has hit us hard, and we're seeing more mortgage defaults than ever before. Good, honest people are losing their homes. I hate to see it. That figures into my story, but not quite yet. For quite a long time, Mrs. Dobbenmeyer was our next-door neighbor. She was a lovely woman, who we got to know quite well. She also had a big, beautiful dog named Ted that looked just like a lion, but was the sweetest animal you'll ever meet. About eight years ago, Mrs. Dobbenmeyer became too frail to live on her own, even with us helping her, and so her family placed her in an assisted living facility. Poor Ted was separated from her and went to live with Mrs. D's son, and uh, the poor little guy died about a month afterward. He just couldn't live without her. We visited Mrs. D a few times in her new home and had her over to our place for dinner on a number of occasions, but the move really took it out of her and she declined rapidly. Eventually, she was transferred to a more specialized care facility and no longer recognized visitors. The only thing she ever wanted to talk about was Ted, her beloved pet and companion. It just breaks my goddamn heart to think of her alone in that place, lost in her own mind with only Ted's memory to cling to. Mrs. D's house was empty for a few years after she moved but finally we got word that a family was about to move in. The Sunday before they were due to arrive, we also got word that Mrs. D was gone. The funeral home allowed us to come say our goodbyes the following Monday, as the new neighbors moved in the last of their boxes. 
About a week later, we baked a batch of brownies and took them next door so we could introduce ourselves. After all, it wasn't their fault Mrs. D was gone, or even that her house had to be sold. The family, Brian and Kitty and their three kids, were kind, and we all got along well. A few days later, the husband, Brian, paid us a visit, asking if anyone had ever died in his new house. We had no idea, and when we asked why, he said that his family had encountered strange noises and items being moved. Along with something else. The barking. Apparently, every morning around 6 a.m., Brian would hear a dog barking near the rear of the house. At first, he couldn't tell whether it was inside or out, so he set an alarm and got ready for it. Kitty waited inside for the noise, and he went out. When the time came, Kitty heard the barking, but he didn't, so it was coming from inside the house, but they didn't have a dog. We told him about Teddy and Mrs. D, and that seemed to ease his worries. He was open to the idea of spirits coming home to watch over the house and the people in it. He didn't have long to enjoy that thought, though because the bank foreclosed on them, and they had to go. This wasn't that long ago, either. Maybe a month? We had no idea they were struggling until the moving truck arrived, and Brian told us that work had slowed down, and the bank now owned the house. Then they were gone. More walking wounded in the swore-on people. A couple days after they had moved, I stepped out of the house at my usual time, around 7am, to get into my truck and head to work, but something felt wrong. I felt as though I was being watched. Between my house and Mrs. D's place, there's only a single car driveway and about 12 feet a yard, so you can see just about everything. And I looked around and saw nothing, so I figured it was all in my head. Then I heard a dog's high-pitched whimper, the type it lets out when it wants some love, but very low, almost like I was hearing it from a distance. I glanced around a little longer, then heard the front door of Mrs. D's house slam, hard. I looked over and it looked the same as it had 10 seconds earlier, vacant and dark. You never think strange things are actually happening to you. After all, it's a work day, the planet's on fire, who who has time for ghosts? So I figured I was imagining things. Opened my truck door, tossed my briefcase under the back seat. As I did, I heard the dog again. So I looked up, and there was a woman with medium-length dark hair, about five feet two inches tall, holding the leash of a large animal that looked like a wolf. They were standing on the enclosed front porch of the vacant house, staring in my direction. I blinked twice, and they were gone. That got to me. So I climbed into my truck, locked the doors, and started saying some prayers. Then I looked up to the second-story window of that vacant home, and there was another man and woman in the window. She was about 60 years old, with graying hair, standing about six feet tall. The man next to her appeared to be in his late 20s or early 30s, with shoulder-length blonde hair and broad shoulders. He was even taller than she was. I stared for what felt like an eternity, and they just stared back. Then they were gone. No waving, no fading, just there one moment, and gone the next. I have never seen these individuals or that dog before, but that stare from them was not friendly, almost to the point of being menacing, and it put every nerve of mine on edge. This happened about three weeks ago, and though nothing else has happened since, I feel them watching. I can't believe I'm saying this, but the vibe they put out, their energy, it's not good, and I feel like more is being hidden than is being revealed. Yeah, that's not okay. No. I'd be like, okay, kids, we're going to move. Yay! We're also going to burn down this house and salt (laughs) the earth. (laughs) But this was the one that really got me thinking about this idea of uh, things moving in when we can't take something. Yes. Pardon me, when we can't take care of something anymore. Or the energy rises to the surface kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it just got me thinking about this idea that I read somewhere that there are two fairy courts and that they change... Uh, they change watch at different times of the year. Oh, okay. And one of them likes us. One of them doesn't. 
Hmm. That's a very Eastern your Eastern philosophy thing, like yin and yang. That balance, there needs to be balance. But I've had these moments in the night, especially back home, uh, when it's darker than it ever has been before. Yeah. And it makes me think of the story. It makes me think if there's again something that's decided we've done a lousy job of stewardship of this thing Mm -hmm. and they're moving into all the empty spaces and just rolling things up Mm. not a great thought no all right we have one more story and then we are done for the night another world my whole life has been a mess of paranormal activity both here in south dakota where i grew up and in chicago where i went to school i'm of native american heritage and a firm believer in the paranormal My first experience happened when I was about seven. I was outside of my grandparents' home on the reservation when I heard what sounded like the bells you typically find on powwow dancers. But they were coming from the direction of the Badlands that are on my family's property. When I told my mother about it, she said she hadn't heard them, but such things could be the Winahe, who will lure you out into the middle of nowhere and ensure you never find your way home. Sometimes at night we could hear crashing the sound of slamming doors, and mother would say it was the spirit of someone who'd passed away on the property. I love his mother. None of this, oh, it's just your imagination. No, there are dead people terrorizing us, son. Get used to it. This is the way it is. When I was 10, it got worse. I remember seeing a black shadow figure walk into my room and stare at me before jumping into the ceiling, leaving behind a bad smell. This continued until we moved to Rapid City, and then I moved to Chicago for college. Things really ramped up again when I came home to Rapid City for winter break. My sister's family had just moved into a new house, and by all outward appearances, it was a nice place. Newish construction, well taken care of. But on my second night there, my oldest niece came to me and confided that she'd been seeing something in the basement. She said it looked like a skinned baboon running around and growling if it saw her. The next morning, I decided to take a look and felt something off right away. But I didn't see anything. It was cold, and my footsteps echoed on the concrete floor. The door to my brother-in-law's office was at the far side of the room from where I stood. I could see that the lights were off. Whatever I was feeling was coming from there, and it grew in intensity as I got closer. Then I saw it. Slowly pushing out from the darkness beyond the doorway was what looked like a bloody monkey's head. I froze. Its eyes were pools of shadow, but I felt it watching me cautiously. There wasn't any outright malice, but neither was it a friendly presence. When I shook off my hesitation and stepped closer, the head pulled back and disappeared into the blackness of the office, and when I turned on the light, there was nothing there. After that, my sister had the house blessed and saged, and everything went quiet again. For a couple of years after this, life just went on the way it does. I graduated from school, worked a couple of jobs, and then went back to South Dakota when a media position opened up. My major had been in broadcasting. It was winter again, which seems to be a theme for me, and I was staying in a motel room for a couple of weeks until my apartment was ready. The sun had long set, and I was sitting outside my room smoking a cigarette before bed. It was freezing cold, and the wind curled my smoke into frigid gray waves. In the window of the next room over, I saw what looked like red lights and thought, well, why not? It's Christmas. I stubbed out my cigarette and went to bed. It came for me in the middle of the night, invading my dreams. I remember fighting a blackened, decayed person, and when I awoke, the room smelled of mold and earth. 
It stayed for a long time. When I finally fell asleep again, I was jarred back awake by a voice in my ear screaming, Wake up and look at me! The room was ice cold, and the stench was worse than it had ever been before. I was afraid of opening my eyes, and so hid under my blanket until I could fall asleep again. My life took a turn after that. I didn't last at the new job, and since I'd put all my eggs into that basket, I ended up living in a shelter for a while. There was activity there, too. Shadows running alongside the beds and things being thrown around the dining room. I started to think I was the problem, that my mental health was slipping, until one of the cooks told me, unprompted, that he was experiencing similar things. One time, about 5 a.m., the cook and I were starting to prepare breakfast when we both heard a blood-curdling scream coming from the dining room. We ran in there, switched on the lights, and found nothing at all. Since then, my life has gotten back on track. I've got a good job and even started my own small side business. The shelter seems like a long time ago, and yet not nearly as far away as I'd like. My experiences with the paranormal have continued, and I've seen some strange, often frightening things. You may not believe me when I tell you these things, but I've seen them. A friend and I were traveling back from Nebraska when we took a detour to see Badlands National Park. It was dusk when we arrived and full dark by the time we left. we just crested a hill near a town called Hermosa when my buddy saw a beautiful woman hitchhiking. She was standing in the tall grass on the shoulder where you think someone's trying to hitch a ride would stand, and something about that just did not seem right. My friend wanted to stop, but I told him not to. A long time ago, I was told you shouldn't pick up people after dark because there was a chance they were not actually people. My friend wasn't exactly on the same wavelength as me, and he kept trying to get me to agree to stop, but I refused. Even so, he couldn't take his attention from her, and if I hadn't seen him tense and slapped him upside the head, he would have slammed on the brakes. That hit seemed to bring him back to earth, and we passed her. When I looked back, the woman was gone, and in her place was a huge thing. It was a thing from Lakota myth. A huge deer with glowing red eyes, and as I watched it, it simply disappeared. These things are a part of my life now, and I've stopped questioning them. There's another world out there next to ours, and the best we can do is try to navigate it. When I was editing that story, there were times I went back and forth as to whether I thought this person was dealing with mental health issues or was genuinely seeing these things, because I do sometimes think it's a fine line. Sure. But the fact that some of these things work, according to them, at least corroborated. Yeah. It really kind of, I thought, put me over and thought, well, I think we need to share this. And also, I know someone who worked in a hospital kitchen and has heard that scream. Really? Yeah. They're, they're, it's still happening. It's an ongoing thing, but they wow. can't pinpoint what the variables are. But it always happens when there's only a handful of one or two people in the kitchen. Multiple people have heard it at once. And when the hospital's more or less empty. Wow. No one knows where it's coming from. Interesting. Just this bodiless scream. Wow. Um, yeah. And I mean, he wasn't even looking for anything. It was his niece who came to him and said. That too. Yeah. I saw the. The bloody monkey thing. That's nightmare that's fuel. scary. It reminds me, I think I've talked about this before. My friend who, while cleaning, helping her mother clean up her house, saw this uh, green kind of lizard skin thing walking on all fours down the stairs. Wow. No one else saw it. Only they saw it. And then it just went away. Yikes. Right? Nope. So, and I know we've talked about this before, and I think, you know, the story does a good job of illustrating this idea that our ideas about, you know, the paranormal world, whatever they are, are probably pretty naive. Yeah. And pretty small. 
that's the thing. They're pretty small. And I think they've been narrowed down by folklore. Right. And stories and less about genuine experiences and people sharing genuine experiences. Right. So I'm always interested in something that brings something new to the table. And it very much this thing. It really does. Yeah. I mean, the Kung Fu fighting, the sort of solid death thing is a little bit like the story from Lethbridge. Right. Or from uh, Grand Prairie, Alberta. Right. Right. Yeah. But the idea that, say, the bloody monkey or... You know, the, the continual or the Lakota thing. Yeah. That was, I mean, you, you've seen Hannibal, right? The show Hannibal? Yeah. So that reminds you of the stag that follows him around right. for the first season, this right. flaming, flaming animal. Right. But uh, it, it both intrigues me and frightens me. Well, and I also noted in the beginning of the story, the mythical creature his mother said lures people out into the wilderness so they never return home. Right. Very similar to the Wendigo. Oh, it's a good point. Yeah, even yeah, yeah. even the name is very yeah Wenahe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, there you find even more corroboration of not just you know this guy's experience, but of actual cross cultural um, stories. Yeah, and it's fascinating when you do find these things these these sort of legends that do cross cultural barriers. Yeah, you know they may be called different things, but yeah. the similarities are unavoidable. Absolutely, and, and we seem to have those stories in every culture. Yeah, that's it. Like flood myths. Yeah, you know, so many cultures have flood myths. Yeah, it just uh, yeah. It again, I'm I'm fascinated by it, and you know, I think a long time I've, t- I've talked about this before, but a long time ago, this journalist asked me when I was doing press for the book. He said, uh, "When do you actually stop? Like, how far do you go?" What w- at what point do you hit a hit a line and say, well, you know what, I'm not curious enough to to go that right. much further. That's a good question. Yeah, and it, it, and you know, I I don't think I have one. Really? Because I hear this story and I think of this parallel world, and I just I can't stop myself. Huh? You know, I mean, like if it feels bad, then I I won't do it. Like you know, like I won't go down certain roads near my apartment anymore because right. I know they're just not great. Right. But. I'm still fascinated by it. And I, I've shut it down a lot, I think, over mm. the last last year, just because I've had much more pressing terrestrial concerns. Yes. But now that some of those are starting to loosen their grip, I feel this spreading sense of, of connection. And I just, I, I again, I'm both frightened and fascinated by yeah, it. Yeah, no bad thing. No bad thing. Yeah, and I mean, for me, like, I am always fascinated by this stuff. I'm always looking for a good story. Um, but, you know, there's other aspects of quote unquote the paranormal or, or otherworldly things like you know sasquatch or aliens yeah whatever um, i don't care right they're there I mean, or not they're there or not it doesn't matter to yeah. me but this stuff really interests me and, yeah. and the welding of human myths and stories and experiences together it's ugh, can't get enough <laughs> love it amen to that well that's gonna do it for stories of demons of the prairie mm-hmm. i enjoyed the hell out of that that was really fun so thanks for sticking with us we'll be right back Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and mm-hmm. every episode. Mm-hmm. We couldn't do it without you. Now, ordinarily, this is when we do our patron shoutouts, followed by our listener mail, but since episode 65 literally just came out today, yeah, uh, there hasn't we just haven't had time to get that together. No. So uh, we will do those on episode 67. So in two weeks' time, 
then we'll have our an extra long C segment with lots of names because we really will. We've, got a, we've already got a ton of mail. Yes, <laughs> we just I just didn't get it together quick enough. No, no, that's fair. It's a quick turnaround. And but thank you to everyone who got in touch with us. And if you have a story you want to share, we have patron story October coming. Or sorry, listener story October coming yeah. up. Three full episodes of listener stories. Send us an email at ghostoryguys at gmail and we would love love to hear your experiences. Absolutely. You can also reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghost story guys. And we have a pretty great Instagram account, I think. Well, that's because you run it. Goddamn right. <laughs> at instagram.com slash the ghost story guys. If you want to join our Patreon, I guess I'll mention this anyways, even if we're not talking about the current patrons. And please do. And please do, yes. I'd like to thank all our patrons. Uh, and if you want to join their ranks, which includes bonus episodes, a live show, you get uh, merch that no one else gets. I know we recently did a sticker giveaway on Instagram and there were stickers that were similar to our patron stickers, but the patron stickers are still, uh, it's a different color scheme. They're higher quality. Our patrons just get things their other listeners just don't get. If you want to get in on that action, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. You'll find information there. We have tiers at the one, five, 10, 20 and $50 levels. And one reason to do that is because, as we mentioned in the A segment, we have hit 500,000 downloads and we are super excited about that. And we have two, we think, pretty great announcements. The first is that we have a wonderful design Mm -hmm. of Steve the Cheese Demon. If you remember, I don't remember what episode. 30, I think it was. Was it? It was a while ago now. I brought up Steve the Cheese Demon. I don't know where he came from. Probably from some sort of cheesy hell. But yeah. Uh, One of our listeners, um, Matt Swan, Matt Swan came up with a design, sent it in unbidden, unrequested, and it was probably one of the coolest designs I have ever seen. Yeah. I'm in love with this. It's just brilliant. So I've already ordered my shirt. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm so excited. I have a pillow coming. (laughs) And so what we're going to be doing is on the next episode, we're going to be drawing from among our patrons and we're going to be giving away some swag. We're going to be giving away some Steve the Cheese Demon stickers. And these are high quality die cut stickers that you're not going to find anywhere else. They're so cool. A limited run that we had printed. Yeah. And again, I won't find them anywhere else. We're giving away those. We're going to give away a prize pack with not only the Steve the Cheese Demon, a t-shirt, but there's also going to be some other things, including... Some designs from this other artist who is mysteriously only known as Bob, but yeah. Bob has been sending us artwork inspired by our show for, I think the better part of a year now. Mm-hmm. And we are now going to be entering into a little bit of an arrangement with Bob where we carry some of his designs inspired by the show in our Redbubble store. Yeah. And it's this really incredible fantasy based artwork, which is sort of inspired by stories we've had on the show. So keep an eye on our Redbubble store and there will be merchandise and swag from the Bob collection <laughs> as well as the Steve the Cheese Demon stuff when we do our patron giveaway on episode 67. I'm so excited for that, guys. It's Again, this is just a, it's it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal to us. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty excited, again, to have Matt's new design, to have Bob working with us. And I just can't wait to share all this stuff with you. If you want to have a look at these designs, by the time this airs, they should be up in the store. Yep. Head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. Follow the link to our Redbubble store. There you can buy t-shirts, pillows, whatever you want. A clock. A clock. Yeah, actually the Steve thing works pretty well in a it clock. It really does. Yeah, I almost, almost, almost bought it. You're inches away. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's all over there. If you do end up buying something, make sure to send us an email with your receipt or a picture of you wearing what you bought, and we will send you a sticker as a thank you. Unless it's a clock. That would be weird. Well, I mean, Flavor Flav can do it. Flav, yeah, you can true, do it too. True. Okay, that, and that call. is the most modern hip hop reference either of us knows. <laughs> well, certainly mine. Yes. <laughs> so again, thank you so much to Matt. Thanks to Bob. And thanks to all of you who got us here to, again, who just 
listen, the downloads more than anything, it encourages us to keep going. Your emails, yeah. your letters, your Instagram messages, all that stuff. It just reminds us that you're out there and you're enjoying this. And your you know, Red Lobster gift cards sent <laughs> to me exclusively, they mean so much. Subtle as ever. <laughs> Who was it? I think it was um, someone on Instagram. I'm just going to look this Didn't up real quick. they offer to buy me Red Lobster dinner if I'm I No. Um, no. They made the home-baked ch- uh, cheddar biscuits. And they, yes. And they sent us a picture of it. Yes. I have made those. They are very good. The secret is the hot garlic butter poured over the top when they come out of the oven. Oh, I bet. Yeah. That's what makes the difference. But yeah, anytime you want to send me a gift uh red lobster gift cards that was tim i'm in tim on instagram he sent a picture of a cheesy biscuit perfect yeah so i of course sent it over to ian to torment him he did right away it was very cruel (laughs) so thank you again guys it just means the world to us and uh i guess we'll we'll have another big giveaway at five million yeah okay yeah i'll be dead by then oh i wish i mean no 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 boo boo (laughs) you'll have figured out how to replace me with an android by then (laughs) that's right just be a box on the table (laughs) yeah brennan Order me keto-friendly food, please. <laughs> All right, keto robot. <laughs> just shove in chicken and it puts out jocularity. Perfect. That sounds pretty accurate. Yeah, was, someone get Elon Musk on the phone. <laughs> All right. So I don't think we have anything else coming up apart from that. Nope. Uh, again, this is kind of a floaty episode because we're recording it the day that 65 comes out because I got to take this trip. Yeah. Uh, but And get murdered in a small trailer in the woods. And then in Revelstoke again. Yeah. Yeah. Before we go, I'd like to thank our musical guest, Ice War, for use of their song, Light Shine On. You can find more from them at icewar.bandcamp.com and, of course, on all the major streaming platforms. All of the music you hear on this show is licensed courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for music or sound effects for your podcast or YouTube project, head on over to epidemicsound.com and check them out. We will be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, into the darkness we go. Yeah, I'm good now. It's just, I'm just having a moment. I know, I've had those. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just going to cut the whole thing out. <laughs> what the fuck was I talking about? <laughs> I don't really care for ice wine. It's too sweet.
Oh boy. <laughs> Made myself laugh. Well, that's the important thing. 18 minutes. Nice. Oh, who's on their way? It gave me the Oh, Abdul Majid is on the way. Really? Already? Abdul Majid is on the way to the village Taverna. Okay. That looks like the side of a van in the <laughs> 1970s. That's just painful to look at. Some guy named Dwight's going to hop out. Hey, it's got carpeting all the way around. Do you want to check it out? Getting a new bubble window installed next week. Four years of the bowling alley to pay for the sweet ride. I mean, I still work there. but Worth you know. every penny. Yeah. They're talking about making me assistant manager. Next year, though. Yeah. Once I work up to it. Yeah. Once I really master the whole spring out of the shoes thing. But then, in the woods... Huh, weird. I was just reading about some bathroom in Wales where they're installing all these yes, special sensors. and it sprays people with toilet water. <laughs> That's so funny. Can't have a blowjob in the public park anymore. What is the world coming what to, What is Ian? the world coming to? <laughs> well, we have the internet now. There's so much less of that. I guess, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Sad. That's how we lost everything <laughs> and, and went to jail. The, the, <laughs> the incarcerated guys. <laughs> the incarcerated guys. Plus, it was winter when you're tight hibernate pretty much pretty yeah much. You're, you're not wrong yeah, yeah. stack of pizzas and some movies yeah. and uh, i'll Big see you in january yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to know what we do with that <laughs> i'm gonna say you say goodbye to the other members of the hundred acre wood and <laughs> hunger down such a dick <laughs> the closet. Oh, i woke up and i was making out with a broom <laughs> again again Realty and rental tips from the ghost story guys. That's right. You're welcome. We're now the property guys. Wait, yeah. no, I think that's... Oh, I think that's been yeah, done. Yeah, we're, we're going to be sued if we try that. No, we really don't look like them. I think we're safe. <laughs> oh, right. They're good looking, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, twins. That's why we're pod... Yeah. That's this not... is why we talk and we're not on a camera. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we're no fools. Can't I like... That. <laughs> cool, cool. Have some chicken. <laughs> You're such a jerk. <laughs> oh, I wish I could leave that in. Nope. No, I know. <laughs>